Guys, can we be honest here about bras? There is nothing better than wearing underwear that actually fits and is comfortable. Enter Beige London, the laundry and swimwear brand that is responding to women of all sizes with well-fitting underwear up to a size H. Yes, that's right. Nice bras for big boobs. Whilst we're all at home, they've been able to offer a free 20-minute online bra fitting so you're clear on what size to buy. Head over to their website and enter honestly at checkout for 15% off your order. Thanks to Beja London, that's B-E-I-J-A London, for supporting me and today's episode of Honestly. Hi, I'm Clemmie Telford and it's time to get open and get honest. Each week, I interview a guest about a topic that we, as a society, often shy away from. From sex lives to salaries, life and death, religion and real bodies, no subject is off the table. Welcome to Honestly, the podcast. In this week's episode, I am joined by Medina and Africa, who are not only good friends, they refer to one another as each other's cheerleaders. Both of them are interior designers who have transformed their rental space into stunning and functional homes. We had our conversation at the height of lockdown while Africa was still pregnant with her third baby, and we chatted about the importance of making a house a home, even if those four walls don't belong to you. We looked at the UK's fixation with home ownership and challenged the notion that renting is throwing away money. This is particularly relevant because 9 million people in the UK are in rented accommodation, and I loved having the opportunity to get Africa and Medina's insight into that experience. How are we both? Good. I'm actually, you know what? I'm really tired. You know why? Because last night I was binge watching This Is Us. Oh my word. <laughs> I tried oh. to stop. I tried to stop and I just couldn't. And I just, yeah, by the time oh. it's been like four o'clock in the morning. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm welling up even thinking about it. The no- most recent series. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm on season four. Oh, so, I haven't watched yeah. that yet. I have to like, okay. put some time like mentally for that. <laughs> oh God, it's so good. Yeah, it really is. Africa, you need to be watching like really easygoing stuff. I, I know, that's the thing. <laughs> I, watched, I watched Gossip Girl when I, up with Bertie, the whole of it, which is huge. Yeah. It's just the most mindless TV, but I feel like that's what you need. I need something like Love Island to be on again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you really, really close? Is it imminent? Yeah, a couple of weeks now, uh, just under two weeks to go. And were your babies prompt? No, they weren't. They were as late as I am. They were both 11 days late. Same as mine. And even with the third, I was like, no, you know, maybe she'll show up a little bit closer. And I lose my mind in that last week. <laughs> Nothing you can do about it because your no. hormones are raging. Yeah. <laughs> but you get a baby really soon. <laughs> anyway, that's not why we're here to talk about that. We're here to talk about renting. But I like to start with a quick fire round. So let's do that. On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you? About what? <laughs> open-ended it's this it's like therapy you know oh just like a confident person I'm leaving it open intentionally okay I'm going if this confident person I'm going for 10 Medina yeah. can bounce that yeah I, I agree I agree 100% for Africa 10 I would say 11 if we could. <laughs> are you serious you feel that way I need knocking down a peg or two my my sisters oh. and my friends can testify to that <laughs> I mean, but all I'm thinking is you're raising the next generation of girls and I'm being confronted with my daughter who is like me cranked up a notch. So they must be... Yeah, forces to be reckoned with for sure, yeah. Which is, is pride inducing, but quite a challenge to parents. Yeah. Um, Medina, how about you, scale of one to ten? Uh, mine depends. 
So I would say ranging from six to eight. Mm. Eight on a really good day, six on not such a good day. Six when we haven't spoken in a while. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Basically, Africa's my confidence boost. Hype girl. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is great to have one, though, isn't it? Yeah, everybody needs one. My husband, Ben, actually said to me this morning, when are you next seeing your friends? I was like, oh, I don't know. I was like, oh, God, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that there's something, I'm being a little bit mad. <laughs> or, or it, he doesn't want to keep going over the same shits with me that I am just, like, <laughs> ruminating. That's amazing to be a hype girl. But also, I think, Medina, scale of six to eight doesn't mean you're, like, penduluming. You're kind of level. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which is good, which is good, I think. She mm. says to someone who probably swings much more than that. Um, yeah. On a scale of one to ten, how patient are you? Oh, I would say I would say I'm a ten with patience. Are you? Yeah, I think probably because of my previous career where I was a midwife nurse, you have to have a lot of patience. So, for me, I would say I'm very patient. But are you able to translate that at home? Because there's one thing in your uh, like professional world. I, most of the time, I would say yes. It's come in handy with my son a lot, I would say. Not so much with my husband, but with my son, yeah. <laughs> so I would say like, a, yeah, nine to ten patients for me. Excellent. Uh, that's something to be proud of. Africa. Mine is a five. <laughs> yeah. I, I was wondering whether you can sit in high confidence and high patience because you've nailed it, if that's the yeah, case. No, it's impossible, isn't it? And I think that mine is a five, but with the few people that are in my close circle, it's obviously a lot higher. And then for everyone else, poor people, they just seem to get the brunt of my like bluntness, which is not like rudeness or unpoliteness. It's just patience just wears a lot thinner with anybody I don't really know. It's actually, you could do a whole like drilling into patience, couldn't you? Because <laughs> there's definitely a time and place for it, but whether we've, yeah, which I, I would like to be more patient in some ways. Mm. Actually, in terms of I've got etched on my arm all in good time because I'm really a fifth gear all the time. But whether we've been told to be too patient sometimes, because definitely Africa, I was going through some of your highlights yesterday and I really admire that you're able to say what you want without it appearing like you're flying off the handle. And I'm not very good at doing that, so I admire it. You know what I said to someone yesterday? I said, at least when you've got it in print, you don't have that guilt when you decide to remove someone without explaining things to them. Yeah, I can just kind of like sift through and be like, well, it's there. And every so often I direct people to it. Yeah. So I, I don't have that thing of, oh, let me try to convert someone every single time they try and cross the line, you know? Yeah, the signposting is such a great tool, isn't it? But also, if those people are sapping your patience, the, the people who bear the brunt of it are the people in your real life who you're trying to get to put shoes on it's a bigger conversation but it's quite interesting on a scale of one to ten how funny are you I'm living with a comedian pretty much so I'm gonna say really low like Jamel's the funniest person I know so I don't even get a chance to like squeeze jokes in I'm gonna go for five yeah I think I'm gonna go for five as well because I'm not that funny I'd probably say my sense of humor is a bit dry quite sarcastic and a bit yeah I've got dry humor so I would say about five because humor a lot of other other humor is lost on me so yeah (laughs) I think dry humour is probably quite intelligent humour, isn't it? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Possibly. Who knows? Favourite smell? Oh, um, mine is bergamot. Oh, yeah, coffee. I love grey. Is yours coffee? How funny. Coffee. Yeah, coffee, I'd say. Love coffee. Mm. But you drink Earl Grey as well, don't you? Yeah, I'll, so I only, the only tea I drink is Earl Grey tea. That's it. I can't drink regular English tea. I put bergamot drops on my pillow at night. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> 
Living the dream. I would love it so much. <laughs> Next level, Africa. I love it. You're pouring coffee on your pillow. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give me ideas, please. Does that, is that not overkill? Do you not? Do you still love it as much? It probably is overkill, but I just love it. <laughs> Fair enough. Isn't your sense of smell quite strong at the moment as well? Do you know what? It isn't. It, it was. Oh. Um, and then I got really paranoid that it had gone back to normal. But yeah. What star sign are you both? Um, I'm a Taurus, but I don't really believe in star signs. Yeah. Same. Fine. I would say the same. I think I'm a Libra, but again, I don't really follow. Are star you nearly star a Virgo? Signs. When's your birthday? October 22nd. Mm. Yeah, I don't follow them, so I really have no idea. No, but you know what? That's very typical of your signs, guys. So. <laughs> You know, you wouldn't be telling me that if you were somewhere else in the astrological calendar. But it's fine. We won't go down that. What do you wish you had learned sooner? This is actually a deep question. It's a really deep question. But go with your gut, maybe. Shall I go while you have a think? Yeah, you go. You go. You know what we were talking about boundaries before? I wish I knew that there was a difference between being rude and assertive. Oh. That would have just enabled me in you know like my first few jobs for example I would have stood on my own two feet a lot sooner I would have probably put up with a lot less just that slight difference I think for women especially we don't really define that do we Mm, good one no pressure Medina Mm. okay my biggest thing is probably learning that I don't need to be validated by social media and when I say social media I say Instagram that's one of the biggest things I think I've learned I would say last year this year Massive shift. And I can't really expand on it because that it's just it's a strange one, but it's just that changing that whole mindset of like looking for strangers for that validation. I think um, learning that you need to learn how to validate yourself and be happy with yourself. Yeah. Um, and you can't find that on social media. You can't. That's a really good one. And I think we all had to go for, through a journey of that. And whether we're realising it now because of where we're at or because where Instagram mm. is at, that's kind of what I'm interested in. It is always interesting to me to see the amount of people that go after a certain topic has been raised. And that's part of keeping your audience quite true to you as well, which I think is important. Mm. So, yeah, I do look, but um, I don't know, it gets too much. I just find it quite funny. Yeah, it's, it's, I find it really interesting, actually. Like, And that is, maybe I wouldn't have said that a year ago because I, I just don't find it so triggering. But it's quite, a, it's quite a full-on reaction, isn't it? Because actually mm. when I unfollow people, it's usually when I'm doing quite a big cull. I yeah. rarely follow people that would trigger me enough to want to do the immediate unfollow. But, you know, you just don't know what where people are at, each their own, you know. But anyway, we're not here to talk about just Instagram. I'm doing an eye roll at myself. What we are here to talk about is renting. And as a kind of intro, could you introduce yourselves and say a bit about your homes and your style and I guess the place you're occupying on social media in relation to your homes? Okay, so I am a DIY and interiors blogger, gulodesigns.com. I share like affordable ways to decorate your home and create a space that you can love and enjoy. I've also written a book called Home Sweet Rented Home, which kind of tackles decorating when you're renting. And it just delves into the idea that your home is so much more than four walls. And even though, you know, you don't always own those walls, you still should be creating a space that makes you feel happy. So that's really just what I'm about. I'm currently private renting and actually I've been private renting for over 10 years. This would probably be my sixth home. So we've moved around quite a lot, not always because we wanted to, but, you know, we've had like really bad neighbours or like 
landlords that were horrific and just like general like having to get a bigger house because of when my son was born things like that but yeah I'm currently living in Birmingham in a three-bedroom house I'm very happy I've been here for just hitting four years my landlord's great lets me do basically what I want to do um for the first time in my life actually with regards to renting I feel quite secure and I also feel very content because the house reflects my style a lot and I feel like it's got a lot of personality and we we all feel happy here We've got good neighbors good schools around us and things like that so yeah it's it's feels like home it feels like home exactly yeah and Africa how about you so my online space is a vitamin d project and I chose that name because I was traveling a lot at the time and now I've got no money <laughs> <laughs> and pre-lockdown like where we haven't gone anywhere <laughs> but um my Instagram has like evolved over the years so I've been renting for 14 years now when I moved into this flat just over a year ago it was Medina actually that gave me the nudge to share that more because I was only sharing it on stories because I was so scared about the nosy questions where social housing tenants mm. how did you get to do xyz and I wasn't comfortable having that conversation one-on-one So when Medina asked if she could film a How I Rent series with us, I thought it's probably the only way that we can discuss it in a safe space with a great friend and also for it to be a video. Because people tend to pick apart your words, don't know when it's in print. Whereas when they can see an actual conversation, Mm -hmm. I think that video had quite good feedback because it was just wasn't it Medina? Yeah I did forget to mention actually yeah what Africa's referring to is the renting series that I started last year called Hashtag How I Rent and it's basically where I'm going to renters homes once a month all over the UK and touring their homes and we're talking about you know things around renting their landlord and how they've made their space their own. So I went to see Africa and um, it was really it was lovely because I was there when Africa had first moved into that property and just seeing how far she'd come with regards to like how quickly she'd done it was just amazing. And actually, that's that episode was one of my most watched episodes ever, because I think a lot of people related to your situation. So, yeah, that was a a really nice experience. I felt honoured that you felt comfortable to share that on my series. Yeah, it's a real privilege to see inside someone's home and to open that up because I will share the details of my mental health. But like no one's seen inside my children's bedrooms. And it's just, you know, I actually hadn't really processed that that would feel like a really vulnerable thing. Africa, when you were talking, you were saying that you were wary of the scrutiny of people about social housing. How does that show up? Um, How does it not show up? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's one of those things. There is such a misrepresentation about eligibility for social housing. And there's this thought process. First of all, the biggest thing is that you mustn't work and that if you do work, you should automatically be able to afford private housing. And actually, there's such a huge overlap of people that could decide not to work because, you know, the way our government is set up, you, your hands are tied a lot of the time. Also, for two working parents in central London, you cannot possibly afford to have a family. I mean, you can say you don't have a family then. I just don't agree with that line yeah. of conversation. But, you know, once you have decided to have children... There was a crossover period of Israel and Asia where they were both at nursery. It was £3,000 a month for us. Wow. And that was more than I earned. But I knew that it was going to be just for like a four-month period until Israel got her free hours, for yeah. example. If I didn't go back to my job, I knew I wouldn't get the promotion that I was in line for. So I just had to do that. We had to just be in like a, a deficit for that few months period. And then even when I was back at work and Israel was having some free hours, it's 
still just literally impossible. Mm. And you think that the cost of childcare doesn't change too much, rent costs do. So Mm. there's a huge overlap of working parents that cannot afford to private rent. And Mm. so what you end up getting is you get a lot of people living in private rent who are in receipt of housing benefit, which nobody needs to know about, of course. But they're not in social housing, but they are having their rent covered for them. So the only way that you can have independent working parents who can afford their rent is to have spaces that are affordable, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Then you don't need to rely on any funding for the government because your rent is, let's say, a, a fair amount. So I kind of felt like, a lot of people were just so unaware of how other people were living mm-hmm. and needed that part explaining to them, needed to know that it wasn't subsidised, that, you know, we wasn't taking home of someone in more need, that there was a long vetting process. And I think people really appreciated hearing that being spoken about so candidly because a lot of people are in that same position. I, I'm being staggered by people's audacity, but I don't know why, because mm. we've, we've all been at the receiving end of some very unedited and yeah it's just extraordinary things do you think people feel a disconnect because your home looks so beautiful is that what triggers them maybe but I think it's really easy for people let's say like in the middle to enjoy someone's home who's extremely wealthy and can change every single room once every two months I think yeah so far removed from those people that we can enjoy that content and then when somebody who earns less than you can transform a space smaller than you. I think that's really difficult to process. And I think that's where a lot of the pushback comes from because no, this isn't someone with an unlimited budget. This isn't someone who's bought everything new. This isn't someone who's got money on tap and changes things all the time. So Mm. that's also why I'm so anti-pushing where everything's from because once you've got Clemmie Telford's famous rug and Medina's famous light and Africa's famous, I don't know, sofa, your house is just going to look like a jumble cell. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. might take the time to define your own style and mm. after being motivated by people that you followed and then do it slowly over time. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's important to be creating spaces that work for you. As you say, if you're curating your home based on other people's taste, you won't feel connected to it. But then maybe if we we're all fortunate to be in creative spaces, creativity can feel quite natural and I think it's sometimes underestimate that that is not available to everyone mm. do you either follow Claire Seal that frugal life yes on Instagram she's really great and she has written a book called real life money which I was reading over the weekend and then I was like mm. wow this has given me the the gift of research so I don't have to do it a fifth of the UK population are in rented accommodation and that figure is set to double over the next 20 years and most millennials will be renting up until their 40s so this is everyone actually and then I asked my audience because it's always good to understand who I'm talking to and 31% of my audience are in rental accommodation and I asked them how that experience was for them and these are some of the things they said and it's a real mix actually which is not usually the case they usually tend to get consistent feedback but not the case so these are their words one person said they felt trapped someone Mm. else said it's great it's cheap if anything goes wrong someone else has got to sort it out it's money down the drain I'm conflicted because sometimes I feel ripped off but other times I feel like it gives me freedom the whole thing makes me feel sick lots and lots and lots of people said rental made them feel happy and someone else said I hate paying somebody else's mortgage how much of any of that resonates with you guys I think definitely we've heard those viewpoints a lot. 
for me, renting is, is really freeing. And I also appreciate that that's because I'm very fortunate to live in social housing. So my rental situation is very different to a lot of other people. Medina, you seem to have a, a really great relationship with your landlord. So yeah. we, we understand that not everyone is in the same rental setups as we are. Mm-hmm. But for me anyway, it, it really works for my family. And I would not be able to offer my family some of the experiences they can have, even in terms of living so close to their family. We see them every week. If we would have had to have moved out of London, you know, we don't own a car, so we'd be quite isolated if we had to follow wherever was in our private price bracket. Yeah, I definitely can relate to some of those. As I said, I'm quite content here in where I live now, but there has been past houses where I felt a bit not satisfied and a bit trapped. The idea, though, that people always like, they say that you're throwing money down the drain, but I Mm -hmm. think I've changed my mindset on that a lot. I I don't think I'm throwing money down the drain. I'm actually paying for a house that I really like to support my family and Mm. for us to live in so I'm quite grateful to be able to pay money to do that I think society in general having these stereotypes this idea of what renting is there's no security you're wasting money on decorating why are you doing it you're giving money to your landlord but I think maybe if we just change that mindset to Mm. actually we're paying for a roof over our heads which is in itself is a privilege yeah and I don't think decorating your home is wasting money because, again, if you're buying the right things, you can bring that stuff with you wherever you go. And even if that sofa or that, you know, that new paint colour is giving you like five minutes of joy, I think that's enough. I do understand those comments and I relate to them. But I think in general, we need to be changing that mindset a little bit more because a lot of other European countries, they rent and people are happy and they're content and they rent for years. But I think a lot of it comes down to the fact, especially with the private sector, it's not a regulated sector. You get landlords that really are just can make your life not very nice. They don't fix things in the house, you know, living in a space with damp walls and you can probably feel trapped. You know, you don't feel like you have a lot of rights as a renter. Mm. So, yeah, it's different ends of the Hands up if you've struggled to find pretty bras past a double D. Okay, don't actually put your hands up, but it is common amongst us larger chested women. Well, today's sponsor, Beja London, have come to the rescue as they have a range from AA to 36H. Use the discount code HONESTLY at checkout for 15% off your first order. Thank you, Beja London. Has there been a notable shift in either of your mindsets? Have you always like invested in terms of decorating and improving your homes? Or was that a, a conscious shift in e- either of your parts? Like if you invest in yourself as a person, why wouldn't you invest in your space? Personally, mm. I think that I deserve to live somewhere lovely. I think mm. my children deserve to live somewhere lovely. I, I don't go to work for someone else for 40 hours a week and not see my children for mm. 50 hours a week to come back to an empty box. And luckily, you know, working full time allows me to be able to invest some of that money into the space that we live. But I do think it's important that you, first of all, recognise that you're allowed to have nice things. And when society tells you that, you know, unless you have these checker marks that Western society classes as success, so be that a car or a mortgage, you're not allowed to have nice things. Well, the danger is that for some people, they will never own. So what you're saying is that your entire life, you should never have anything nice. That And that's what it comes down to. 
Yeah. Do you know what's interesting, though? I actually, when I first got married, my mindset was the same where I was thinking, okay, I need to just save for my deposit. Don't buy anything for the house. Just leave the house as it is. I'm just going to spend all my money for my deposit. So I was getting really obsessed with it. And then it got to a point, I remember coming home from work one day and it was just like a really, like, really stressful shift. I came home and I just, my house was really bland. It just had like a sofa and magnolia walls. I looked around and I just thought, wow, I'm just not really happy here. Mm. I'm coming back to a house that I don't enjoy. I've had like a 12 hour shift somewhere that was like, you know, hectic and I need to come home and feel at home and at peace of, you know, my surroundings and myself. And I didn't feel that way. And I think when I had that change of thought in my mind, I just thought, no, Forget about, mm. forget about what people are telling me that I should do. I should be saving my money for a deposit. I need to go out there and just make my house feel like a home. And that's kind mm. of like what I did. I remember that's when I started my blog and that's when I started decorating. And I felt like it also my mood was better. I just felt more comfortable. I felt more happy. So, yeah, exactly what Africa said. I think we are told by society that because you rent, you know, you haven't owned a house that you're not successful. So you don't you, you don't want the right to go out and buy yourself nice things. But actually, we do. You know, we should be spending money on things that make us happy. I was also interested in in flipping this over. And if we were to give advice to landlords, how would that look? From a private sector wise, I would say I think landlords need to understand that we are humans who want to make our house nice and I think a lot of them take the human aspect out of it and especially when you're working with agencies well they just see you as a person who's in the house keep it as it is don't make any changes and then you leave they forget that we actually might have children we might want to make that place our home so I think it's just important for us to realize that there are lots of us who do want to decorate but feel like we can't because of the restrictions keeping an open mind with private renting again there's a lot of like Uh, three months checks six months checks I think it's just important for there to be a channel of communication where Mm -hmm. if a landlord feels that their tenants are looking after their property well why do there need to be a constant you know watching what they're doing it kind of reinforces that idea and that yeah it's not your home it's my home and it doesn't help and Africa how about you who would be your channel of communication and how does that look so they're still classed as a landlord, but it is the housing association. So you'll never speak to the same person. It will be a team, depending on what it is exactly that you want to address. And that can be quite tough as well, because it's really hard to chase anything up. The good thing is that most of it is done by email. So at least if it's different people, there's a chain there. The biggest thing that I'd really, really love to see change in a rental sector, private and social housing is longer tenancies. Oh, yeah. If you've got a longer tenancy of five years, for example, then you wouldn't mind your tenant painting. But I can understand from landlord's perspective, if you're doing six month tenancies, you don't want in a year, you know, like how many different coats of paint, for example, and things like that. So I think long term tenancies work for most people. I understand there's a lot of people that are here just transitionally in London, especially. But the option of longer tenancies, I think, would see a lot more people happy to invest in their home Mm. without having to leave. Yeah, because I think in, in private renting here, it's six months. You can maybe get a year, um, but it's six months for a contract, which is, again, it just kind of, you don't feel secure. You don't no, feel secure at all. Children, that's halfway through the school year, for one. Yeah. Yeah. It's just nothing. It's yeah. just nothing, is it? Yeah. Mm. That is really difficult. I always ask Instagram if they've got any questions. They've got some quite niche ones. Tips for making the most out of small spaces, which actually you're both mind-blowing at. Needs must. <laughs> Africa's like a plan to the T person. Like she plans everything to the last centimetre. 
Do you draw it out, Africa? I have to. You might won't let me spend any money. <laughs> <I've seen it. laughs> it's the only reason why. And obviously, I'm normally roping him in for help as well. So yeah. then I kind of have to show it. It's the only reason. But my biggest thing would be go vertically if you can. Yeah. So someone said to me a month ago, like, oh, your kitchen's beautiful, but how unpractical is it to have to get on a stool every day? Well, there's there's no choice. Silly <laughs> <laughs> of me to say I'm going to stop the shelving at five foot seven because I'm five foot seven. That stool now is second nature to me. And it means that everything we need in our kitchen, we can have. Uh, I mean, there's kitchens on like narrow boats that are bigger than my kitchen, if I'm honest. Really? So you kind of do have to use the space. But for us, vertically has always been a good help we've like removed the door in our daughter's bedroom and that's given them like a whole floor to ceiling library which they wouldn't have had otherwise so yeah vertically for me is one of the biggest ways yeah I agree I think that's one of the that's the biggest advice I can give as well and like adding storage to your walls adding wall mm-hmm. shelves if you can and I, I I like baskets I love putting baskets everywhere so putting baskets under furniture but just like yeah maximizing storage in that way but guys, can we really like be honest here about how tidy your homes are? Dina's home is spotless. Mine, Clemmy, is a normal home. It's and impossible. I'm going to be honest with you, we just had a photographer come in last week and my sister cleaned the house for nine hours beforehand. <laughs> nine hours. Oh, Clemmy, <laughs> I get it. it. It's impossible to keep them clean. Like I, I really panic about like our house is not great. I need, to, I need to put this out because I get a lot of questions about this and people always message me and say oh my god your house is so clean Medina I, like how do you keep it so clean and actually I have to always say I for a styled shoot I will make it look clean because it's a styled photograph like all yeah, the messages behind the camera I don't think people realize that on Instagram like I'm not gonna sh- I, I, I mean I could but I'm not gonna show you my house on a really bad day and today my house is looking horrific but it's okay <laughs> oh, it's just that it, yeah it's it, it's that endless cycle, isn't it? You're torn between, right, I'm going to leave them for some free play because that's good. But it, the mess that they can create, kind like of. the whole Lego upside down, like really, really. Yeah. But well, that's thankfully, it. my son is quite good. He he cleans. He's an only child. He cleans up after himself and things like that. So I can't oh. complain about him. I'm so always showing sharing videos of Africa of him like vacuuming and things like that and washing really? the dishes. Yeah, he's only eight and he does all these things. So yeah, I'm quite proud of him. <laughs> we've taught we've taught us to unpack the dishwasher in lockdown and that is that is progress someone also messaged to say that we really need to move on from trying to buy a home because it it really negates this experience for everybody and that I think that's really true and it's really something very particular to this country isn't it and yeah. the rest of Europe it's not such an obsession at all no I think also generation size has played a big gap so my my family have got quite small generational gaps um, my mum's in her early 50s, my grandma's in her very early 70s. I've only just lost great-grandparents. Mm. <laughs> Practically, if your home is just an investment for your kids, well, your kids aren't seeing that money until their grandparents themselves. At what point would Israel and Ezra reap the benefits of us selling our home that we're living in? Because we're assuming we've just got the one home and we, we don't have like houses all over. At what point would they receive any money Rather, what we've decided to do, and obviously this is why we both have this desire to work full-time, is so that we can give them some money when they turn 21 or 18. I don't want my children to live in social housing. I'd love to be the last generation, not out of a shame thing at all, but because it's done its duty. 
it's given us breathing space and allowed us to say for our children, it's really important for me and Jamal that that stops now with our kids and mm. that they get to an age where we can offer them financial freedom rather than them wait until they're 50 and having like a, a share of the cost of our house, for example, which I think is what you see a lot in Western households where there's maybe like a 35 year age gap per generation. It's a big difference over two generations. I don't think of that, but that's true. No, actually, yeah. that's, not no, really thought of that. that's interesting, Africa. Yeah, That's a massive light bulb moment, actually, mm. of when you end up having kids and how that implicates financially. Good point. I can't remember which of you posted about an account that I've only just come across, which is, I think it's at Black Homes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Africa, yeah. Shared the significance of, of an account like that. So. Obviously, June has been a lightning bulb moment for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They're understanding that inadvertently they have alienated a lot of black communities online. I think that's in every single space. So that's now become apparent. We don't want to sit at your table anymore. We're yeah. going to come at our own table. And that's why accounts like Black Homes UK are really important. So what I've just said about generationally, who can afford to buy their homes and things, that's understood in the black community because we came with nothing only 60 years ago. So that's, yeah. that's understood. So people who are now buying houses for the first time, everybody has bootstrapped together. The whole family is put in for you to be the first time owner. That's yeah. why these accounts are so important because it's a different kind of buying. It's a different mentality to design. And it isn't just a community for black people, but we want to put it out there that if you do want to diversify your feeds, don't look at these big white accounts that are suddenly passed in the mic as such. Look at these. Like, I don't even like, think they're passing the mic. Some of them. I think. I think they're centering themselves in with. It's not. It's becoming about them and not about amplifying black voices. And I've said before, like diversity inclusion is great, but I just think if people are not tackling the heart of the issue, then it just doesn't work. And I think for me personally, like, you know, when I when I started in the interior design industry, I really was trying to get a seat at the table. Like I really wanted to be heard. And I wanted to bring up all the other black designers that I knew that were there that weren't getting recognized. But it's come to a point now where I'm just like, you know what, I'm actually I've had a I've had enough. So I want to create my own table and invite my people to the table, if that makes sense. Like I just think it's really important to invest in communities, you know, and not stop waiting to again that validation from other people that, you know, I don't think it's sincere. I think a lot of the time it comes off very performative. I've had conversations with individuals about this very topic for the, you know, the past few years and I've always been shut down or I've been told that it's not an issue. And now that it's after what's happened, people are now realising, oh gosh, we have a problem of interior design, but you know, it's been there all this time. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe actually my patience isn't a 10. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it does. It gets a bit disheartening, I have to say. It's exhausting. I just think, oh, uh, yeah, we could speak about this all day. I've spoken to Africa about this a lot. I think the benefit of the last month is just seeing a lot of black designers finally get that recognition that they truly, truly deserve. You know, people are now starting to see them. And there's so many of us, but mm-hmm. we never had the spotlight before. And if we did, there's only like one or two. So maybe only people know me. Um, maybe because I have a large amount of followers, but other people who are better in design or whatever are not getting as much recognition. And I think, again, it's because of the Instagram algorithm. And I think it's also the fact that uh, it's just, interior design has just been dominated by white middle-class women. We've been asking for change for a long time. And, you know, now people are now starting to listen. There's this myth, Medina, that 
we just don't have nice homes yeah, well, yeah. that as well yeah although we don't have any we don't we're not trendy we're not stylish we don't want nice things like you said but we do we do you know? we work in creative roles as well yeah, yeah. well it's something that I'm trying to understand by you Africa particularly is when you talk about black joy and about showing your family living in a wonderful home doing wonderful things and, and mm. how significant that is because it hasn't been visible enough has it what I was trying to say about these wealthy interior designers is if we've gone out of our way to follow people with 10 bedroom houses that live in the countryside that haven't had to work for example to be able to afford that then we also have a duty to ourselves to go out of our way and seek other accounts that are completely different and so yeah it's just important that when you are finding these accounts you're you're not playing to, and I'll call it the white saviour complex. And if that comes as a shock to you, it's just worth researching. Because why is it only okay for us to find black accounts once a white account has said, this account is worth following? Mm. It's just something introspective. It's worth breaking down in our own mind. We've all done it, I'm sure. And why is it okay to say there was a problem of interior design when a white person said there was a problem? When black people have been saying it for years, not even just black people, like people of colour in general have been saying there's a problem. I think that's that was what got me so upset during that time, you know. And Africa was my sounding board for, yeah. You did well then, because you kept oh. calm. I'm just like, <laughs> it sounds like you're a, you're a good combo for each other, though, you know. You've got to, we both yeah. need a bit of the other one. But also, yeah. I do really do want to thank you both for showing your homes, because I think it is an act of vulnerability, for sure. Yeah. I'm really going to sit with that when I'm consuming interior stuff in the future, because that is the equivalent of saying, come round for a cuppa. So to have access to your homes is... Yeah, it is a real privilege and people shouldn't take that for granted, should they? But no. they do. They do. <laughs> I'm going to wind it up towards the end and ask you a couple more questions. First of all, the important bit, where can people find you and what have you got to shout about? So you can find me at Grillo Designs on Instagram. My blog is grillodesigns.com. I spend an insane amount of time on Instagram, on stories, etc., showing everything and then I also have a series called hashtag how I rent which is again what I explained earlier just touring renters homes all over England I also have a website for that called howirent.com and also my book my book home sweet rented home you can buy in most retail shops I think Amazon WH Smith and Waterstones yeah so please buy my book (laughs) Africa what have you got to shout about it's just the Vitamin D Project on Instagram. My blog, I got an email yesterday saying I need to pay for it to be renewed. Oh, I, hate, I hate that. <laughs> I've only written about four entries. So I'm probably not going to pay for that again. I just like having an email box. So funny. But yeah, I'm mainly just on Instagram at the moment and it's at the Vitamin D Project. I think you have got other projects brewing. Well, you've got one very significant project brewing, your third child. But I think the other stuff to, to watch this space with, maybe. Lots of things to come, hopefully. And we did say we wanted to collaborate in some way with, with regards to renting at some point. Yes. So, yeah, that's in the pipeline. Oh, you have to do it, girls. Mm. <laughs> it's out there in the, in the universe now. Yeah, that's but, why I said it. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Medina. <laughs> no pressure, Africa. <laughs> I'm not even going to let you edit it out afterwards. There's something massive there. Obviously, very, very passionate about the idea of honest conversations. When I say the the concept of honest conversations, what does that mean to you guys? How do you think things need to change or do you feel that things are already okay? I think maybe unfiltered comes to mind. Uh, It's very easy for people to be honest in comments 
when they're dissecting you. But if you're not doing that with your own account, whether you've got one follower, 10 followers or 100 followers, it's not an open invitation to criticise. Mm. Uh, conversations absolutely but it has to be an open dialogue has to be a two-way thing it has to be respectful yeah I would agree I think what you do online you need to carry that over to offline as well and that's why I say like just simple boundaries like you know saying hi to people when you message them and saying please and thank you things that you would do offline I think are really important so I think having that uh, authenticity and politeness respect online as you would offline and it crucially definitely honest conversations it needs to work both ways doesn't it Mm. and people need to get comfortable with it if you're not going to hear the answer that you hope to hear because that's Mm. the whole nature of a conversation you Mm. have to be able to hear what the other person wants to say yeah lastly if you were to have an honest conversation with one person it could be anyone a troll a celebrity someone who's dead a younger version of yourself a friend a child who would it be and what would you say Oh, gosh. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Africa's laughing in a kind of sinister way. I'd choose my mother-in-law. <laughs> what would you say to her? I don't know. I'd just like to have a one-on-one space, have a nice dinner, have a nice chat, yeah. Well, can, can you facilitate that? Yeah, probably can do. Probably should do. That should be my... <laughs> yeah, that should be your goal. How about you, Medina? I'm trying to think who I'd want to have an honest conversation with. Oh, gosh. you know who I'd like to talk to, though? Stormzy. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> yeah, I would actually. I love all the things that he's been doing recently. Yeah. Okay. Stormzy yeah. it is, and your mother-in-law. Yeah. I like the <laughs> good different answers. Well, I hope that either of those things, or both of those things, come to fruition. <laughs> well, on that note, I've been Clemmy Telford, and these wonderful women have been Africa and Medina, and this has been Honestly Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, ladies. And please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your mates all about it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Honestly. If you found this week's episode interesting, which I hope you did, I'd love to know your thoughts. So please do give me a rating or review and even better, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get each week's episode delivered straight to you. Another massive thanks to the sponsors of today's episode, Beja London. If you'd like to get 15% off your first order, enter honestly over at Beja London. That's B-E-I-J-A London. Thank you, Beja. Clara Antho is bringing this city back for a second series. The podcast is a love letter to London, revealing the stories behind her guest love affair with the capital. Series one saw brilliant guests like Louis Theroux, Mark Ronson, the Sugar Bays and Little Sims. And the new series takes a deep dive into more fascinating names who have a unique connection with the city, including Munya Chihuahua, Rene Ede Lodge, Alex Scott and DJ Fat Tony, to name but a few. So be sure to check out the new series once you finish listening to Honestly, of course.